Well, I want to welcome all who are worshiping with us today, uh, both here in our celebration service and our sanctuary, but also those in our summit service and our CLC and all those who are worshiping with us online or on our broadcast. Thanks for spending time with us uh, worshiping the Lord together. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to take a little detour away from our focus on the book of Ephesians. Lord willing, we will be back there next week. But today I want to bring to you a little different kind of message. In fact, I don't think I have ever preached a message uh, quite like the one I want to bring to you today. This is in part a message on Hebrews 1 through 5. We're going to cover five chapters of scripture, which will surprise you. Uh, but this is also in part a model uh, for your New Year's resolutions, uh, which is something that uh, so many people think about this time of year. And this message is in part leftovers. Now, I don't mean reruns. Uh, this, is, uh, this is new, uh, but it's leftovers. Sometimes we enjoy the first meal, but sometimes... We enjoy the leftovers. And so I want to share with you a little bit of the leftovers of some of the things that I've feasted upon this last week. Today I want to walk through the last six days of my devotions. I want to share with you uh, some of the uh, things the Lord has shown me in his word and I want to model for you at least one way, not the only way, but one way to walk with the Lord in our devotions each day. So my goal, two goals, I want to teach you some things from God's word that the Lord has taught me this week. And I want to give you this, as I said, a model. I want to give you some, some structure, uh, not the only structure. But I want to show you my far less than perfect way of seeking to walk with the Lord in my devotional life. Now, this is a little bit scary, that last part. Uh, so I know that as I share with you my personal story, uh, there are many, in you, many of you that are uh, here today who do much, much more than this every day. And there are probably some who do uh, much less than this every day. But here's the truth. Our spiritual walk should never be a source of pride or a source of condemnation. And so today, the goal is not for you to be impressed or for you to be judgmental. What I want you to do today is to hear from the Holy Spirit through God's word, a call, a call to walk more closely with the Lord in 2022. I'm going to be transparent uh, in some of this, maybe more so than I should. I hope that that is encouraging and does not bring dismay. Uh, but my prayer is that, that through this model, imperfect as it is, that you will be encouraged in your daily devotions. So let me give you the structure and then we'll get to the, to the five or six things that I learned. Uh, so here's how I do this. Uh, for me, my best time is in the morning. Uh, there's no biblical rule that you have to have a devotion time in the morning. 
if you look at uh, David in the Psalms, he did it morning, midday, and evening. Uh, but I ordinarily do this in the morning. And I'll be honest with you, it's generally six mornings a week. And uh, there are certainly times of prayer every day in my life, and, and usually times of Bible reading or spiritual reading every day. But this structured approach that I take, um, I'm just going to be as honest with you as I can as I go through this whole thing today. This is more of a six-day-a-week pattern for me than it is a seven-day-a-week pattern. Uh, I begin this time with a very short prayer, uh, probably 20 or 30 seconds, as I just uh, stand or sometimes kneel and speak aloud to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here to hear from you. And I want to hear from you through your word. I want to hear from your Holy Spirit. Make this a special time. And so it's just that short, but it's an introduction. And it gives my devotion time a clear beginning as I announce that to the Lord. The Bible says to come boldly before the throne of grace. And so that's how I begin. In the Bible, when people pray, almost always they either stand or they kneel. Uh, sometimes they lay down flat. Uh, so when I begin my prayer, I usually do it standing or kneeling. Then I begin to read and meditate on a portion of scripture. Uh, the difference between reading and meditating, reading, you know what that is, but meditating is when you take a pretty small part of scripture, maybe just a verse, maybe even just a few words, but you take a smaller part of scripture and you really focus on everything that that means and all the different ways that that applies to your life and how your life needs to change in order to embrace that part. And so I might read an entire chapter that that could have between 15 or 50 verses, but I'm gonna spend most of my time on one verse or two verses as I really meditate on that, and you'll see how I do that as, uh, as we go through. Uh, after, well, I should say that while I do that, uh, I'm writing things down. And uh, if I actually write them, not even the Lord would be able to read it. So I generally type them, uh, but that's not, um, that wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. But if something's important to us, what do we do? We write it down. Somebody calls you on the phone today and says that uh, you've just received a million dollars through some, um, uh, through, through some uh, estate that has been left for you. Uh, but in order to uh, get that million dollars, you're going to need to go to the bank and give them the following number. Now, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to write it down, right? And so when I'm talking to the Lord and I'm reading his word, I write it down. Well, after I finish my time of prayer and meditation, a reading and meditation, then I, I pray. In this part of my prayer, I'm usually seated uh, if I struggle to get started, I'll turn over to the book of Psalms uh, or I'll pick up a prayer book that I, I use from time to time, but I'll just pray. We just spent uh, about four months me preaching on how to pray, and I won't repeat uh, all of those sermons right here, but I generally pray uh, C-H-A-T. Do you know what that stands for? C stands for confession. I spend a few moments confessing my sins. 
from the previous day. H stands for honor. I honor the Lord for who he is, for his power and his justice and his, and his, uh, and, and his purity and his mercy and his grace. And then A stands for ask. The Bible says if we have a need, we are to bring it before the Lord. And then T stands for thanksgiving. We are to thank the Lord for what he has done. So when I have my prayer time, I generally do C-H-A-T, confess, honor, ask, and thank. But then I go to a little bit of a prayer list. And so much of that C-H-A-T is centered around, well, whatever I'm most focused on. Oftentimes it's centered around me and um, what I'm, what, what's going on in my life. But then after that, I have a prayer list that, that keeps me focused and makes sure I don't leave anything out. And so, of course, most important to me, people-wise, my family. And so, uh, I have different days that I pray at length for different people in my immediate family. Uh, so on Mondays, I pray for my wife. Uh, not that I don't pray for her on Tuesday or Thursday, but uh, Monday is her day. And I spend some time telling God all the things wrong with my wife. <laughs> no, I, I lift my wife up in prayer and I do spend some time thinking, thinking about how uh, I can bless her with prayer and how I can be specific with her. And then on Tuesdays, I pray for my daughter, Hannah. Wednesdays, my daughter, Emily. Thursday, my daughter, Ray. And uh, again, I'll, I pray for all of them all the time, but those are the days that I really focus. And then, uh, once I've gone through that part of my prayer list, then I have a prayer list for the church. Uh, today, I'll just read to you uh, parts of my prayer list anyway for the church. I prayed for our services. I prayed for the sermon. I prayed for the, for the music and all the things that, that have to come together for our, for our choir, for our praise band over in Summit, for all of our instrument players in both services. And so I prayed for our services. I prayed for you, the people that God would gather here and that God would have a special word for you. So I prayed for our services. And then I prayed for just a list of people, Amelia Kleiber, college student here in our church. She leaves uh, for a long mission trip today to France and Italy. And so I prayed for her. Caleb Castro, our Hispanic pastor, is preaching at a sister church. I prayed for Caleb. Uh, the Workingtons are traveling back from their son-in-law's funeral in York, Pennsylvania. You may not know all of these people, but I prayed for the Workingtons. I prayed for First Christian Church, a sister church here. There's, this is their first Sunday without their uh, pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Colgan. And so uh, I prayed for them. I prayed for uh, a, a woman who is pregnant, and I won't mention her name because I don't know how public that is. Uh, I prayed for Johnny Pittman, and some of you will know and remember Johnny, and some of you will not, he used to be uh, a greeter here at our church. His dad passed away one year ago today, and I don't really know how Johnny's doing. He moved away to live with some other relatives, but the Lord brought him to mind this morning. I prayed for Johnny. I prayed for Jan McLaughlin, uh, who lost her husband, Wayne, just a few days ago. Pray for Chris Hillis. Again, you may not know all these people. Chris had emergency surgery a few days ago. And then I prayed for a lady in our church who is having cancer surgery in a couple of days that might not want her name mentioned. But I pray, I pray for the people who are on my, uh, on my list. Um, and then the last part of my devotion that I, I want to share is that in addition to my Bible reading and my prayer, I'm always trying to read some book, uh, 
Your reading should start with the Bible, of course, but read some book that will challenge my spiritual walk. Uh, the book I'm recommending to people right now, if you're looking for a book, uh, is a book by Isaac Watts, uh, the hymn writer, uh, A Guide to Prayer. I think you can give it on, get it on Amazon for 10 bucks. And so that's, uh, that's their advertisement for the day. Uh, it's a short book and it'll really encourage your prayer life. But, uh, and that's not the book I'm reading right now. I've already read that book, but I, I'm always reading and encouraging people to read something outside the Bible. Now, that's, that's my devotion in a nutshell. What I want to do now is just to walk you through the last five or six days, just depending on how much time we have, five or six days and share with you what I read and what the Lord showed me. And I hope this will be a model for how you may do the same. So on Monday, I've titled these days, just for my outline here, Monday, praise be to God. And so I was reading in Hebrews chapter one, and in verse three, I read the entire chapter. I read it slowly, I took some notes, but Hebrews chapter one, verse three was the verse that stood out to me, and it's that verse that I spent some time meditating upon. So let, let's look at that verse together. If you have your Bible open, Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I think that is one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. It's a beautiful verse because it goes through the things that are most important to us. It begins by talking about the Trinity. And it says that God and Jesus, and it doesn't mention here the Holy Spirit, but he is implied. It says that God and Jesus have the same substance. And, and Jesus is the exact expression of the nature of God. And so this is a statement of the Trinity. And we worship and celebrate that truth about God. The next thing it talks about is how Jesus sustains the creation. In the previous verse, it said that Jesus created all things, but here in this verse, it says that through his word, he sustains all things. Your heart wouldn't beat another beat were it not for the sustaining power of Christ. And then this verse talks about salvation. Look at the middle of the verse. After making purification for sins, what's that talking about? Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. We just celebrated Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus was born, lived a sinless life, and then died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't bear the penalty, we wouldn't bear the guilt for those sins, and so we are purified from them. So this is the good news of the gospel. This is our salvation, that he has made a way that our sins could be purified. And then the last part, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? It means that he's finished, that Christ has finished everything that needs to happen for your salvation and for mine is already done. Jesus is finished. And he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. We can put our trust in Jesus Christ and we can be saved. Now, God's not finished working on us, but our salvation, that our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, those sins are forgiven. 
He has sat down. He is finished. I, uh, I wrote uh, in, my, in my journal a number of things as I uh, meditated on this, the Trinity, the creation, salvation, and completion. And uh, here's where the Lord reminded me of uh, just an amazing thing that he did in my life. It was 115 days ago last Monday. Uh, there is a particular sin uh, that I've struggled with uh, for many, many years. Not anything scandalous or disqualifying, so uh, don't ask. But, but sin that, has, uh, that I've confessed over and over and over. And I've been working through uh, just like you have with your sin. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, when Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified. And I've prayed and confessed that verse. I, I've th thought so often, almost daily, about Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. And I've sought to do that. There is a part we play in our becoming like Christ. But ultimately, who changes us? God changes us. And uh, I'm really careful with the word miracle. You won't hear me use it very often um, because uh, it's uh, such a significant thing. But in some way, 115 days before Monday, I experienced a miracle in that uh, the Lord just changed me. I can't explain it. I can't uh, tell you what contributed to it other than just the grace and the mercy of God. And he just took that sin away. Now, there's still a few more. And some of you are thinking of those now. Thank you. Uh, but I wrote that down in my, um, in my journal as I thought about, though he is finished with my salvation, he is not finished with me. And that's... Uh, one of the most amazing signs in 2021 that God's still working on me. I also wrote down Philippians 1.6. What an encouragement. I am sure of this, that he who has started a good work in you will carry it on to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. And so I just celebrated that in my devotion time on Monday morning. So let me take you to Tuesday. Tuesday. I titled this, No Drifting in 2022. And so I read Hebrews chapter 2, uh, but the verse that I focused on was verse 1, Hebrews 2, 1, which says, For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Drifting is a dangerous thing. I thought about the, the qualities of drifting, drifting in our spiritual lives. There are three D's, because I'm a preacher, that's how I think about things when I read scripture. I thought of the three D's of drifting. One is, it is destructive. You never drift to a good place, right? You take your hand off your steering wheel on the way home today and see if your car drifts to a good place or a bad place. You never drift to a good place. Drifting is always destructive. Secondly, drifting is deceptive. We don't recognize that we have drifted until we have moved far from where we wanted to be. We don't recognize that our marriage has drifted until there are big problems in our marriage. We don't recognize that our spiritual lives have drifted until there are big problems in our walk with the Lord. I can um, remember in, 
if you're a beach person, we all have this experience. You're out playing in the waves with your kids and, and you're out there for about an hour and then you, you look back to the beach and all the hotels have moved, right? Have you ever experienced that? Well, the hotels hadn't moved, you've moved, you've drifted, and it was imperceptible a little bit at a time, but now you're 100 yards away from where you started. So drifting is destructive, it's deceptive, and then finally it's democratic. What I mean by that is we all drift. This is the natural state of, of an undisciplined life. We will drift. And so what does this verse tell us to do to avoid drifting? He says to pay attention to God's word. And I was reminded as I spent some time, spent probably 10 minutes just thinking about this one verse in my own life, it is only by being anchored in God's word that Noel Deer can keep from drifting that Noel Deere's marriage can keep from drifting, that my spiritual walk can keep from drifting. And I thought about how will I in 2022 make sure I am anchored uh, to God's word. And then on Wednesday, on Wednesday I read Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, and the verse that just grabbed my attention that I meditated upon was verse 13. If you look at this verse, encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Now here he gives us a double danger for sin. He says that sin is deceptive, and he tells us that sin will harden us. Now deceptive means that sin will trick us. Sin will trick us. When you see someone whose life falls apart because of sin, they didn't anticipate that. Sometimes we look at them and think, why in the world would they do that? Well, that's easy to say from the outside in, but from the inside out, they never recognized the danger until it was too late. Sin is always deceptive. And then sin hardens us. When we get into sin, it's harder for us to hear or see the truth. Have you ever seen someone whose life was self-destructing? And, and you thought, why can't they recognize the truth? Well, because their hearts, with that, with that continual repetitive sin, their hearts have become hard and they can't see or hear the truth that you can hear and that you can see. Uh, so he says, and this is interesting, it may even surprise you. He says there's, there's a remedy to this, a solution to this. Look at verse 13 again. What is the solution? to the deceptiveness and the hardness that sin will bring to your life, he says it's encouragement, daily encouragement by other people. What this verse says, and if I had an hour, I would uh, show this to you throughout the scripture. Left alone, a man or woman who genuinely loves God, left alone, that person will find himself, herself, deceived by sin with a hard heart. We need, God has created us to need people around us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to pray for us. And if you think that you can live successfully the Christian life just in a bubble, I'm telling you that's not New Testament Christianity and you can't. 
The Bible says we must do these things together. That's why we say here that a disciple of Christ is someone who loves God and loves people. You must be connected with other people, encouraged by them. And so I thought about this just in reference to my own life. I wasn't thinking about you as I read this. I was thinking about me. And I asked the question, first of all, who am I allowing to encourage me? Who is close enough to me? And we determine how close people can get to us. You know what I mean. We keep the secrets we want to keep. We hold people at a distance when we want to hold people at a distance. But who am I allowing to get close enough to me that they can truly encourage me in the areas of my life that matter? So who is encouraging me and then who am I encouraging? I wrote down names in my uh, journal. Uh, here are some people that, that are encouraging me and I need, to, I need to let them in so that they can encourage me in the right areas. And then here's some men that I want to encourage. And then Thursday, uh, prepare to give an account. So on Thursday, I read Hebrews chapter four. And again, I looked for one or two verses. Uh, in this case, there were two verses, but I'm only gonna talk through one here. Uh, but I looked for some verses to meditate upon. And I chose to meditate on verse 13. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Do you ever think about that as a Christian? One day we will stand and give an account. Uh, this doesn't determine if we're saved or lost. We're children of God if we are children of God because we've trusted what Christ has done and through his crucifixion, all of our sins are forgiven. But nonetheless, we will stand and give an account of how we have used our resources and how we have used our time for the glory of God. And so I thought about that. I spent a great deal of time just on that one verse. And I asked myself the question, I asked the scripture, the Lord, the question, uh, what does that tell me? If there's going to be a day when I'm going to give an account, what do I learn from that? Well, number one, there must be a standard and an expectation. If you're going to give an account to someone, then there's an expectation that you do something, right? So God has an expectation for today for me that I serve him in a certain way, that I'm faithful in certain ways, that I pray, that, I, that I'm generous with people, that I'm kind with people, that I have a certain attitude. There, number one, is an expectation that God has. The second thing that tells me is the very obvious fact, there will be a day where I will give an account. There will be a day of accounting when I will stand before the Father and I will account for the way I've lived my life. And then the third thing I can see there that it means is there is, by God's grace and mercy, an opportunity to prepare. Uh, I have today, as far as I know, uh, the Lord may end my life before I step off this platform, or the Lord may come back before any of us get home, and, 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 and I'll be okay with both of those. But so far as I know, if today is like yesterday, I've got today to prepare to give an account for today. And so I, uh, I spent some time as I had meditated on that verse, writing in my journal and talking to the Lord about what is his expectation for today. 
And what must I do? What will I do to prepare? Well, let me share with you Friday. Are you getting some idea of how I do my devotions every day? By the way, if any of this is helpful to you in, 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 in the lessons that I'm learning, uh, I put these in a video every day. Uh, so uh, we call it Learn the Bible. It's two minutes long. You know, two minutes as preachers count minutes. You understand how that works. But it's two minutes long. And you can, uh, you can get it on our church social media sites. You can get it on my social media accounts. Uh, we post it at 4 a.m. here at the church and 6 a.m. on my account. There's a reason for those times to work out with some advertisement that we do. And then also you can receive it by email every day, and it's on whatever your favorite podcasting platform. So if you'd like to receive the daily email, go to fbcnac.org email and subscribe. Uh, if you'd like to uh, get it by podcast, just the audio by podcast, uh, just go to your favorite podcasting app and search for Noel Deer. And so everything I'm sharing with you now, uh, you'll get it again next week if you watch the two minutes uh, with, uh, with Noel Deer. So what day am I on? I'm on Friday. So I read Hebrews chapter 5. I'll go a little quicker here. It was verse 8 that stood out to me. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now that's a puzzling verse. What does it mean that Jesus learned obedience? I thought Jesus was always obedient and I thought Jesus knew everything. How could it possibly say that he learned obedience? Well, it says he learned obedience from what he suffered. And there's a great deal we could say about this, but, but here, here's the part that stood out to me as I was reading this on Friday. Christ, of course, was obedient. And Christ was obedient even when he suffered. You know, sometimes, I don't know if this is true of you, but it's true of me. When I go through hard times, I can feel like that gives me a pass to sin. Have you ever thought about that? When life is really hard, just, well... It would be okay to sin a little bit now because life is hard. But when, when Jesus went through hard times, he was perfectly obedient. And he learned something in that. What he learned by being obedient when life is hard is how to later be obedient when life is harder. Here's an important lesson that most of us don't ever learn. If we will be obedient when life is hard, not give ourselves an excuse to sin, but if we will be obedient at that time, we will learn something that most Christians never learn that will allow us when life is much more difficult to walk with the Lord even more faithfully. Do you understand what I, what I mean? For a lot of people, when, when difficulties come, that's when they walk away from the Lord. So a church like ours, we have thousands of members. Did you know that? And you wonder, where are they? Where are they? As people have said, the FBI couldn't find half of them, right? So what has happened? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm probably putting people in a box and they don't all belong in the same box. 
But people had made a profession of faith in Christ, but then hard times came a thousand different ways. And the hard times, they abandoned their faith. How will that not happen to us? Well, if we will be obedient when hard times come, we will learn something like Jesus learned something, and we will be faithful when harder times come. So I read that verse. I meditated on that. I spent a significant amount of time on that, and um, I took some notes. Uh, how can I, uh, because there's one specific area, um, I don't know how transparent I ought to be, but uh, I'll just tell you, when, when life, when, when stress is high, you ever have a very stressful day? When stress is high, I had one of these days last week, when stress is high, I go to Chick-fil-A and get a peppermint milkshake. <laughs> I don't take drugs, I don't drink alcohol. Um, I, I give myself a pass because uh, it's a tough day. But, if, but I wrote some notes down, if I can learn to be, that's not tough, tough day, but if I can learn to be obedient on that kind of day, I like Christ will learn something that'll help me be more faithful in the really difficult days. Let me share with you Saturday very quickly. I want to share with you something not out of the Bible because um, here I want to, I want to show you that um, your devotion life ought to include more than just the Bible. And I'll start with the Bible, but it should include more than that. So on Saturday, I read Peter Cho's book, George Whitefield, Whitfield, most people pronounce it, George Whitfield, Evangelist for God and Empire, which is not a book that anybody else would ever want to read. But it was about how George um, Whitfield was a part of the Great Awakening in the mid-18th century and how that was influenced by British imperialism. Now, that doesn't sound very interesting. It was more interesting than you probably suspect. But I got about halfway through the book and there was a chapter, there is a chapter, on Whitfield, this great preacher, uh, preached 18,000 sermons to 10 million people. That's pretty significant. This preacher, how he justified endorsing slavery, chattel slavery. And he explains, he explained in his uh, sermons and in some of his writings how he believed that was a proper thing. And uh, so I spent some time. I was reading through this, and it, and it, and it talked about that. I, I really believe Whitfield was a man who loved Jesus, and uh, he loved orphans, and he stood up for African slaves when they were mistreated. But he was horribly, horribly wrong on this issue. So how can a man so godly, so sacrificial, the way he lived his life, he lived it for other people, and he lived it for the gospel, how could a man like that be so wrong on this important issue of slavery? And so I read his explanation with scripture. And, um, and here's what he did. He viewed scripture through the lens of his culture. So there was a way that people thought in those days. There was a way he was raised. And he took all of that, there was the popular opinion 
And he let that be the lens through which he read scripture. And so he read and quoted verses and he said they meant something that they obviously did not mean. He read scripture looking through the lens of his culture. And so he was wrong about one of the most important things he ever had an opinion on. And so here's what I thought. How can I keep from doing the same thing? Because I think some of the issues that the church is arguing about, not our church, but the church worldwide is arguing about today, it's because of the same thing. People are, are trying to interpret scripture by looking through the lens of culture at scripture and that changes what scripture means. When what should we do? We should look through scripture at our culture. Not through our culture at scripture. But scripture is the lens. This is the, this is the standard. I should evaluate culture by what the Bible says, not evaluate the Bible by what culture says. And if you get that backwards, even the very, very best, most godly person can do some really, really dumb things. And so I was challenged Saturday to commit myself to being a better student of scripture and to being careful that scripture is my lens, not my culture is my lens. And I prayed about that, and I jotted some notes down. So I know we've been all over the place in this message, but let me pull all the pieces together. There are a lot of things about your life you can't control, but one lever you have is you can choose to abide in Christ. It's it's the way Jesus said it. You can choose what your daily devotional walk with the Lord will look like. I can't can't control what my health in some ways might be in 2022. I can't control what the economy may do in 2022. I can't control what my kids are going to do in 2022. I can't control what, I can't control a lot of things. But I have some control over my devotional walk with the Lord. And so that's the lever I should pull. You can make a lot of commitments for 2022. What I want to ask you to do is just make a commitment to walk with the Lord. Don't make a commitment to do something so Herculean that you'll never do it. I'm going to read the entire Bible every Thursday. That's nuts. But if you just meditated on one verse a day, read a chapter, meditated on one verse a day, took some notes, talked to the Lord about how that verse is going to change your life today, I'm telling you that abiding in Christ will change your life. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. I'm not saying there aren't some important things in the world. You know, I've thought about what am I doing for retirement savings? And, you know, maybe there needs to be fewer peppermint milkshakes in my life. And I'm not saying that those things don't matter. But what I'm saying is our priority should be seek first the things of God. God's going to take care of those other things. Let's, let's bow our heads to pray. Father, I'm thankful that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus has made a way for our sins to be forgiven and that he's finished. 
And I pray that those who hear my voice today that have not put their faith and trust in Christ and that have not been adopted in the family of God, that today they will trust you for their forgiveness and for their salvation. Father, for those of us who have done that, may this year be the year that we seek first the kingdom of God and that we seek you through your word. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing and pray.